we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, how many of you enjoyed the, the series that we did on the life of Peter, the person of Peter, the roughest apostle? Uh, you know, because we all kind of identify that with, right? I mean, it's just, I love that. But we're starting a series this morning, going to go for about maybe three or four weeks. I'm not sure how long, but uh, it, it's, it's entitled Building Bridges. And, and, and this Building Bridges will deal with a variety of things. Um, such as building bridges of evangelism, building bridges of wholeness and purity and restoration over the next few weeks. And I've always been fascinated by bridges. I've been fascinated by the old rickety, you know, dusty bridge that maybe, you know, gets you across a creek. Uh, growing up on my, my grandma's farm in Clark Fork, there was a, there was an old train bridge that crossed the Clark Fork River and uh, or, or the, the Tacoma Narrows when I was growing up as a kid is also bridges carry you from one point to another. They allow you to cross over a chasm, uh, turbulent water, or just shorten the distance. Uh, bridges are imperative. Good bridges protect and bad bridges put you in danger. And many of you, many of you were not here when the Old Town Bridge was rebuilt. Uh, it took a couple years. And then, you know, when it was done, it was like, it was twice as big as the old bridge. That is really cool. Population 190 Old Town, but we've got the best bridge, right? I mean, so when, when I think about this, there are people here today that you need to rebuild some good bridges. And they're bridges of faith, and they're bridges of fellowship, and they're bridges of purity, and, and even a bridge from your past to, to the present. If any man is in Christ, he's... It's new. Old things passed away, and you get to walk this bridge into newness and, and in this new faith. And, and we're called to carry, we're called here to build bridges that carry the gospel to people and carry people to Jesus. And so I want to talk about evangelism this morning uh, for, for a little bit. I want to I hopefully challenge us and, and, and change some things in our heart and unpack some bridges that we have to share our faith and reach the lost and fulfill the last directive that Jesus gave when He said, go therefore. So I want to read in Matthew chapter 28, 16. Now it said, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And, you know, we, we call this the Great Commission, and I like that, breaking it up towards the co-mission, because Jesus is with us. We're on a mission, but it's a co-mission. It's not a mission by yourself, it's a mission with Him. We're actually on His mission. We're accompanying the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the Word of God in what God wants to establish on the earth and, the, and, and bringing the you know, kingdom of heaven down to earth. And uh, I just had an opportunity uh, a couple months ago to go to Alaska and visit the church that Pastor John and Kathy are leading. And, and uh, I told them, I said, I'm coming up here to work. I want to speak into the church. I want to build the church. But we got to go fishing for a couple days, which was pretty cool because I love to fish. It's kind of interesting. Uh, how many of you here from Alaska? Anybody here from Alaska? Alaska is like a different culture. It's pretty cool. It's kind of like the North Idaho culture, but a little different. For example, 
uh, when, when, when they leave Alaska, they say, we're going to the outside. Or when you come in, they're saying, oh, you came in from the outside. Or when they come back in, they say, yeah, I just came in from the outside. I'm like, that's kind of different right there. Just like we have some different sayings, right? And anyway, so one of the things that we did was they said, hey, we're going to go fish. And we're going to fish on the Kenai River. And it's like the sockeye, you know, are moving. The, 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 the reds are moving. And, and what happens is these, these, um, these salmon you got a river that sometimes it's, it's not any deeper than maybe across this building, but the salmon aren't in the middle, they're, they're on the edges. They're on both edges. And they come up the river, and they're basically their mouths are open. And they're just doing this. They're not, they're not eating, they're not biting, they're not feeding. They're just open. And so, how do you catch them when their mouths are open? Well, what they do is they have this technique called flossing. And I'm like, wow, flossing, that's really weird. And, and you just take, you take, you know, you take a rod and you take a line and you put a weight on it and then you take a leader and then you have a hook and you have this little, you have this little, um, you know, piece of yarn. You don't even need the piece of yarn. It's just to kind of make you feel like you're actually fishing. <laughs> really, that's, that's what it is. And what you do is you kind of stand there like this and then, and, and you, you, you know, you have a length and you just go like this and then you drag it across and then. When one of those fish comes up and hits that line, you kind of feel it, and then you just like, you, you hook them. So it's a fancy way of snagging them. Legal way. Don't get you put in jail. So anyway, you're, you're, you're flossing, you know? It's like, it doesn't sound that fun, does it, Mitch? I mean, it's just like, but the fishing is great, and it's fun. And you're in this combat fishing. I mean, so there's like people like lined up. There was thousands of people on this river. And I'm like, man, I usually like to fish by myself. I like to have like peace and all. There's all, and they call it combat fishing, but it's actually fun because you're talking to people, they're helping you, you're helping them. There's this interaction back and forth. So I'm trying to, and I've been a fisherman since, I mean, since I was like this. I remember on my grandma's ranch, I wanted to fish so bad and I didn't have a fishing pole. So I basically cut a stick and I got some uh, baling twine, and then I, I made a hook with a piece of wire, and I'd find the biggest grasshopper I could, and then throw it down in the creek, and hopefully that I could catch a fish. I mean, you know, it was like super technical, right? So basically, um, I'm going up there, and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to get this technique, and I'm like, fishing. I'm not catching, I'm ca every once in a while, but I see this guy ahead of me, and he's like, I, where I'm going, like, I'm going like, He's going, and he's catching fish. And I'm like, so I, I walk up to him and said, what's your technique? He said, actually, there's no technique. He said, it's numbers. It's about numbers. All you're doing is you, he says, I'm trying to get more casts, as many casts in as I can. I'm like, I could, so I started going faster. And I was like, I started catching more fish. And I thought about what a great illustration for evangelism. I mean, like, listen, you ain't going to catch fish unless you go fishing. Jesus didn't say that He would make you successful. He didn't say that He would make you rich. He didn't say that He would make you educated. He, did, he said, I will make you fishers of men. And so it's interesting when I think about this and I look at this picture, and then I think about this, how many of you love sharing about experiences that you've had with people like, you find a great restaurant. I mean, I see it all the time. Somebody will post, hey, if you want the best burger, you got to go to this spot. It's awesome. It's not. And they shout it all over the world, right? 
if you get a good hunting spot, though, you don't shout that all over the world. That's like code. That's covered, right? But great restaurants. My, my wife loves to share stuff that she experiences. So I, I will... I will many times, you know, she, she loves like thrift store shopping. So I'll go and I'll drop her to thrift store. Sometimes I'll take a nap unless there's like a guitar shop or a Cabela's really close. And then I get activated. If not, I'm taking a nap in the car while she's in there. And then she comes home and she's got a couple bags of, you know, just clothes she's found. You know, treasures because it's treasure hunting. Right? It's treasure hunting. You're, you're, looking, for, you're looking for like gold, you know, on, in them there clothing racks, right? And then I know when she brings home these bags, I'm always going to have a fashion show. She's going to pull it out, right? She's going to go, hey, what do you think about this? And you know what she's into right now? Camo. I mean, I thought, Lord, there is a God, right? I mean, seriously, she's like, I don't know what's going on, but every time I look at camo, I just get excited. I'm like, wow, does that mean you're going to go hunting with me? No, 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 but I'm going to wear camo. But anyway, so I know I always had this fashion show because she's had an experience and then she wants to share it with somebody. We've had an experience with Jesus and it should be first nature for us to share it with somebody. But what happens is we really don't because preachers and teachers have told you you need to evangelize, but then they don't tell you how to do it. I do the same thing. Like I find a guitar, like, hey, honey, I found a guitar. Our eyes glaze over. You got a new gun? Our eyes glaze over. Oh, that's really nice. Got a new hunting pack? Oh, honey, that's really nice. That's, oh, I like the, and she will work it though. I, you know, I like the texture on that hunting pack and I'm going, you are just working me right now, aren't you? She's such a good sport. But then we don't go ourselves. So we teach it, we preach it, and we got to actually do it. We have to lead it. So, you know, one of the things I did, because I love doing this stuff, I've coached in the public schools and I've just done leadership stuff out in the business where I just love getting out with people. And I really love it if they don't know I'm a pastor. I mean, right away, they eventually will. But I love it. So one of the things I did was I decided this year, I'm going to join that. I'm going to join the, 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 the men's golf, you know, team you know, at the local golf course, right? And I thought, that'll be really fun. And I'll, I'll be, a, you know, I have to start as a substitute. And man, I saw so I get in there and I realized, dude, this is a rough bunch here down on Priest River. I mean, I forgot how much like, you know, F and A's and this and this. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. But I actually loved it. Not because I love the course language, because I love the real, that I'm in the midst of broken real people that actually need what I have to share. And so, you know, you're trying to, so I had this one, this one day and I'm golfing and this guy's just going off. And then, you know, I kind of decided I was going to like share with him that I was a pastor, you know, after he'd like a string of epithets, right? And so I hit a bad shot and I said, you know what, that, that shot right there would even make a preacher cuss. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, you're a pastor. I said, yeah, I am. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I do, man. And, you know, I love Jesus. And then he starts confessing. I mean, seriously, it was like I'm, I'm in this confessional booth. Well, I used to do this and I still do this, blah, blah. And I just thought, this is perfect. I love this kind of stuff. But we're all called to build bridges that carry the gospel to people and carry people to Jesus. So I, obviously, the bridge I want to talk about this morning is 
about evangelism. And it's about reaching people. In Matthew 9.36, speaking to Jesus, He said, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion. Somebody say compassion. For them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How many of you recognize how amazing it is when somebody has compassion on you? And then how many of you realize how terrible it is when somebody doesn't have compassion on you? Compassion is an incredible key that we see in the Scripture. See, before you build the bridge, you have to see the crowd. You can't build the bridge to to a crowd that you don't see that they are actually people. You have to have, you have to see the crowd. See, we're surrounded by people who are harassed and helpless. They're in this quagmire of this culture that's broken by sin. And they and we were helpless until God built a bridge called Jesus. And they still need Jesus. We get overloaded and we get hard-hearted. We suffer from compassion fatigue. And we quit seeing people and we just don't see them the way that God sees them. And gathering the lost and broken in activation can't be effective without compassion. It's only possible with a heart of compassion. Let me just break down some compassion things for you this morning. Compassion, by definition, is showing kindness, favor, being gracious, having pity, sparing. How many of you like to receive compassion? Yes, I do. I like to receive it. But then why, why, don't, we, why don't we give it? Okay. Matthew 9, 36 and 38, we're going to unpack this a little farther. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed. And this translation, I love it, says, and dispirited. They were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is God's harvest. Compassion motivated Jesus to direct that in prayer, God would send people that looked like you and I into the mess. That was the heart of Jesus because it was a heart of compassion. And there's still a mess. Workers are required. Just because you've been rescued doesn't mean that others don't need it. You've been rescued from your mess to be a rescuer. Matthew 14, 14. And then he went ashore. And then he saw a large crowd. Here's another large crowd. And felt compassion for them and healed their sick. See, compassion moved Jesus to heal. If you want to see miracles, you have to have compassion because it's an amazing key. I'm just telling you right now, the, the thing that will actually keep the Holy Spirit from moving in and through you is a hard heart. You, you, got to, you got to look at this. Compassion moved Jesus to heal. People still need to be healed today, both spiritually and physically. And then we see in Matthew 14, 15, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is so desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. Listen, this is like a one stoplight town. There's like one restaurant. Send them into Spokane. Because there ain't nothing to eat around here. I mean, seriously, they're they're basically saying, but Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And we see that compassion moved Jesus to meet the physical needs of people. People still need help to meet physical needs. It's hard to minister to someone when their stomach is empty. 
And Jesus said this, he said, the poor you'll have with you always. Listen, it strikes me that one of the dynamics that happen when we gather to worship and hear the Word of God is that it constantly softens our hearts. We, we know the Scripture. We know that God abides in the praises of His people. We know that we're breaking the bread of fellowship together. We know that there's encouragement. But, but think about this. I mean, I was just pondering and praying about this and I realized it softens the hearts of people. That's why it's so important. Because there's something, some dynamic, some spiritual impartation that, that happens where there's a softening of a heart when we come together and we worship and we're, we're basically... See, we're not going to build a bridge to the broken without the softening of our hearts on a consistent basis. We encounter so many things in life that are designed to harden your hearts. You, there's people here today, you've had encounters with people that the result is your, your hearts have been hardened. And probably it's people that are close to you, right? You've had encounters in the culture that basically have tried to change the atmosphere of what's going on inside. Because the devil knows that if he can harden your heart, you're not going to see people the way that God sees them. You're just going to see crowds and not understand the dynamic. See, we become cynical, we become critical, we become judgmental, we become self-righteous. And all these stem from a systemic hardening of our hearts. There is something that goes on all the time. It's like, if I was the enemy, then I don't want you to reach out. I don't want you to see miracles. I don't want you to feed people. I don't want you to share the hope that we have within people. What am I going to do? I'm going to bring offenses in. I'm going to bring encounters in that all they do is actually put you in a self-protection, in a defensive mode, and harden your heart. So you're like, I just don't give a rip anymore. There might have been some people this morning that you got up and you were just like, I just don't, you're having a, I don't give a rip day. Why? Because your heart. It's a heart issue. And when we look at this to, to gather together and, and worship and hear the Word of God, we experience community, the family of God, all work together. It's like God is constantly massaging, the Holy Spirit is moving and equipping and challenging and transforming. But the big picture is your heart is softened. And when your heart is softened, you'll see miracles because you'll see compassion and you'll want to meet the needs of people. You'll want to respond to those around you. There's a beautiful picture in Nehemiah where the word of the Lord had been lost. It had been neglected. And then it was found and it was being read to people for the first time. And it broke them. It absolutely broke them. Something happened. There was a, there was a trans, transformation. It says this, that Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. There's something in the Word of God that actually changed, transformed, softened. Please soften our hearts today, Lord. So we can see the crowd and then we can build a bridge. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I just pray for people all over this room that you would soften the hearts, soften our hearts. God, I'm reminded that David, a man called 
after your own heart would say, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked in me. Lead me into thy everlasting way. God, search our hearts. Soften our hearts. Change our hearts. Your word says that when we came to you and we believe we were given a new heart and a new spirit, and yet, God, so many times the events, the hurts, the past, the betrayal, the rejection, just, just kind of puts up, just, just does heart damage. And I believe the, the body of Christ is suffering from a heart attack. Lord, that's what I would do if I was the enemy, and I think he does it really well, so soften us. Soften us to one another. Soften us to you so we can see the crowd and we can build a bridge. And then we build a bridge. How do we build a bridge? How do we build bridges? I can tell you you need to do it, but then I, tell, I need to tell you how to do it. Amen? It'd be like somebody showing up and saying, hey, okay, we're going to go, uh, we're going to floss for fish. I'm like, what is flossing for fish? I, that's a weird term to me. Well, here's your stuff. Okay, what am I supposed to do with this stuff? How am I, I'm, I'm casting it clear across the river. No, no, no. Actually, the fish are right along the bank. They're, they're here from the end of, uh, of, of, to the end of your rod. That's where you'll catch most of them. Really, I'd have never known that. I'd been like, you give me something I can cast clear across the river. I need somebody to show me. So I want to give you three things this morning, practical, that you can use to build a bridge into our culture, into our community. First of all, build a bridge vocationally. A lot of times we go, we get our education, we get our trade, we get this is what we do. You know, I build houses, I plumb houses, I'm an electrical guy, I fly airplanes, I, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a whatever. We don't realize that your vocation actually is a bridge into our community. And, and, and it's kind of crazy because you don't realize how effective that could be. I worked for before. I've been a lead pastor for about 22, 23 years. And before I did that, I was actually, I drove a UPS truck for 17 years. And, and for the first five years, I was just pining. I was just like, I just want to go do something for God. I just want to go do music. I want to preach. I want to do something for God instead. Of, but I'm doing this because I got to put bread on the table because we got 2.5 kids and there's a White House to maintain. You didn't know we had 2.5 kids, did you? About five, six years into it, I had a metaneo moment. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a repentance. Like what? It's, it's a thought that reveals the error of the first thought. And like, wait a minute, I have a great opportunity to build a bridge into the lives of people. They're actually paying me to go deliver to their house. I know their dog, whether it bites or not. If they live out the end of the world and turn left, I know what their truck looks like. So if I see them in town, I can say, hey, here's your package. They would leave their doors open for me. They would give me their codes. I'm like, I'm actually getting paid to build bridges of relationship with people. I was able to share Jesus like for the next, for the next 10, 12 years. I'm like, this is what I'm called to do. I, I'm like the guy, I'm like the guy, man. I mean, come on. How many of you are like bummed out when the UPS guy shows up at your house? 
Oh man, he's got my new whatever, fill in the blank. Most of you are going, I'm tracking. I'm seriously, that's what I do. I'm tracking, I'm tracking that package, man. He's supposed to be, he's not here. I want him to show up. Right? I no, I said something in the first service. I'm, I just got the don't say that the second service. I'm gonna say it anyway. So anyway, I'm a, I'm this I'm this do you realize it about like I don't know, I'm I'm driving for UPS and then there was this big article that came out that said actually the UPS tri- the UPS drivers now replaced the milkman as the sexiest man out there. And I'm like, I'm rocking the brown. That's right. I'd come home at night and I didn't even need to change my clothes. Honey, I'm home. The UPS guys today are not the same. I'm just telling you. Back in the day, you couldn't have any facial hair. You had to do it. Now I'm looking at these guys and they got like beards and tats and everything. It's like, oh man, man, they've fallen a long ways. I'm just kidding. Oh man. Okay, back on track. (laughs) Vocationally, build a bridge. What do you do that basically brings you into the lives of people? Well, there's your there's your mission field. There's your bridge. There's your there's the place where you share something that is so life-changing for you as somebody else. I've heard evangelism basically defined as one beggar sharing with another beggar where they found some bread. And it's just sharing your testimony. It's just being, it's just being natural. That, or, or here's another bridge. Do it recreationally. Build bridges recreationally. What do you love to do? I love to fish. So it's been pretty cool because, you know, I would go to, you know, a young guy and I'd say, hey, how would you like to spend about five or six hours with your pastor? And he'd be like, oh man, he's going to talk to me about my marriage. He's going to talk to me about my spiritual life. I wouldn't do that. I'd say, how, how would you like to just go fishing with me? Oh, absolutely. And guess what? I have a captive audience, man. I got a guy on the boat and sooner or later, we're going to talk about Jesus. Use, your, use what you do recreationally to build bridges. You love to shoot, grab somebody. You love to you hunt, grab somebody. Unless it's your really good hunting spots. Or how about building bridges using your gifts? Use your gifts. Use the, the gifts naturally that God's given you and use the gifts spiritually that God's given you. Just like build a bridge. One of the funnest things that Robbie and I have done over the last, I don't know, five years, eight years, is we decided, you know what, we're going to, let's... Uh, Let's just kind of put a little music set together, kind of like the old days, but let's use it as a bridge. And we get invited to basically over on the coast, we're going to be over there, we get invited to actually play at this like it's pub. I'm like, yeah, it's been a long time since I played music at a pub, but it was a blast. I mean, start out with a little bit of, you know, James Taylor and, you know, some, you know, uh, whatever we used to do, Merrick, all the, all the good oldie stuff that were cool. And then... And then slip, start slipping some worship in there. You know, I'm like, let's build a bridge with our gifts. You can be building bridges anywhere that you go. We're created to be. Make it personal. Make it personal. See, there's a personal aspect that's important. Jesus used Zacchaeus' name. Think about this. Zacchaeus was not well thought of in the day. 
He was the chief tax collector. It would be like the head guy of the IRS showing up and saying, I want to look at your finances. This was this guy. And, and he wasn't, and he was kind of ripping people off too. But this is interesting because his name in Hebrew didn't mean chief tax collector. It meant innocent or pure. And Jesus actually saw through his reputation and into what he was called to be. And I thought that is so amazing because there's a personal aspect of reaching out. I've not found too many social media warriors that lead people to Jesus Christ. A lot of people like to hide behind the keyboard, but I'm not seeing like flocks of people coming to the Lord because of what you end up posting. Why don't you get out from behind your screen and get out there and be flesh and blood and touch somebody's hands and touch somebody's heart and touch somebody's needs and basically make something personal about how we reach out and build bridges. People follow friends, they don't follow strangers. Isaiah, look at the importance of the name. Isaiah 43.1, but now... Thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. John 10.3 says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them his own sheep out by name, and he leads them out. It's so important that we understand this. I want to unpack this story in Mark this morning and point out some takeaways for us. You You all stand with me? Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. It's a lot, of po- a lot of scripture, but I'm going to read it. Probably a few of you were so busy this week, you didn't have time to do your devotional, so we're going to catch up right now. Amen? We're going to get you caught up. Mark 2, 1 through 12. And we, when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, speaking to Jesus. And many were gathered there so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, what does this man speak like? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus Perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man is authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And then he rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them also. They were all amazed, glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, I want to point out a couple interesting things. Our worship team is going to start making their way back. I want to to point out a couple things that are interesting here. Number one, Jesus had a home. You ever think about that? There's another passage of Scripture that says, Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So we kind of get this picture of Jesus being always itinerant, always on the move, always working. But actually, the Scripture shows to us, it said, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
He, was, he had a hometown. I mean, I just think that's really good. Now, here's the other thing that was kind of interesting is the roof would have been baked mud. How they constructed things. And so actually what they were doing when they removed a portion of it or put a hole in it, they were actually digging into the mud so that they could actually open. And I'm thinking, come on, think about this. These guys had some stones, y'all. You are putting a hole in Jesus' house. You climbed up the roof. Your compassion was so great that you went at length and you did something creative that nobody probably ever thought about doing. And so that you could actually bring somebody into the access. You could bring somebody in there. And I'm like, man, I'm telling you what, these guys were committed. See, religion makes it hard for people to come into the house at times. Sometimes our, our stereotypes and our religious liturgy and just how we are makes it, it, it it's like it's like it's hard for people to come in because there's this barriers and it's so important we go out yeah we we bring them in but man we got to go out because it's really tough you got to overcome some things jesus had been teaching he'd been preaching there was miracles he returned home and people just kept coming it's like, wait a minute, why don't you give Jesus a break? Can I say this? Revival doesn't keep regular hours. It's kind of interesting because, you know, there's times when we, you know, we kind of plan revivals. You know, we're going to have a revival. We're going to do this. This is great. There's nothing wrong with it. But I'm telling you what, if you study the great revivals, you'll find that none of them was planned. All it was was people that were hungry for God would actually set aside their calendar, their time, and they would say, listen, I know I'm busy, but I'm going to go to the house. I'm going to gather for prayer. I'm going to gather for worship. And in that process, their hearts were softened, that had been hardened, and God began to move because it draws Him. And then you started seeing miracles coming out of the soft hearts of people that had gathered together. Man, I'm telling you what. Whether there's a worship night, whether there's a conference, whether there's a revival night, set aside your normal. Listen, you can do normal all you want, but if you want to remain normal, just keep doing normal. If you don't want to remain normal, then do something different. And when you do something different, it catches the eye. First Chronicles says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to Him. And when you come together, there's something that is, there's an exchange that happens. And we know we've been given a new heart. We know as believers, we've been given a new spirit. But then you've got life that absolutely smacks you every time you turn around. And pretty soon I'm hard-hearted. Well, then come and let's gather. And, and sometimes you just don't wait until you're like hungry. Because you're not really hungry until you're hungry. Let me illustrate that. The other night we got home with beautiful wedding. It was it was perfect, and we were we're like eating all the time. You know, I mean, they got this charcuterie board and stuff like that. We get home, and after about an hour, Robbie goes, "Well, are you hungry?" And I said, "No, I'm not really hungry." And she says, "Well, I got some like lasagna that I could." And so we thought, "Well, let's try it." And then she hooked, you know, she cooked up this lasagna. As soon as I started eating, I realized I'm hungry. I tasted something and I saw that it was good and that basically created an appetite and once that appetite I was like man I, and I'm like well she put it away but I want some more right 
I didn't have any more. But I wanted some more. Because sometimes you're not hungry until you get into that place. So you're like, oh man, there's a, there's a worship thing going. There's a, listen, at the end of this month, we're going to have a worship night. I, I'd encourage you to come and bring the broken. Bring the paralyzed. There's people that, around you that are paralyzed by fear. Their paralysis anxiety. Their paralysis uh, mental health issues. Their paralysis broken relationship. Their paralysis basically physical things that are going on. And you have the opportunity because we see in the story the four friends. The four friends that have the compassion. The four friends that basically would say, hey, listen, enough is enough. And I'm bringing my broken, messed up, jacked up friend into a place i'm gonna bring him into the church and even if i have to dig a hole in the top of jesus's house i'm gonna let him down there because i know that's where life and that's where the transaction is going to happen from heaven to earth we've got to we've got to get to that place where basically our hearts are soft because if our hearts are soft man we can be the hardest meanest people that there are christians can be mean they can they can hurt each other. They can be hypocritical, judgmental, and it all comes from this hard heart that the enemy is consistently going, hey, hey, here's another fiery dart. Here's another thing that's going in. Pretty soon you're trying to be self-protective and God says, I want to give you a soft heart. This was an amazing picture in the house of Jesus, of the church. These Jesus is at the center. He's teaching. He's preaching. Miracles. He's feeding. And people didn't want to stop. You know, some of the most amazing revivals that we've seen historically, they didn't go for an hour. They didn't go for two hours. They went for days. They went for weeks. They went for months. I'm serious. People were absolutely getting wrecked in the Lord and put back together whole. We see this picture. Bringing somebody broke into the house. They have the faith. They have the willingness to step out of the box and doing something that no one else has done. So let me ask you this morning. Does your concern lead you to action? Does your compassion lead you to do something no one else has done? Do you have friends around you that have faith? Are you a friend that has faith? Are we willing to be inconvenienced because of our concern and compassion for broken people? And if we aren't, it signifies that we have a hard heart. And maybe this morning you're here and you've been paralyzed by addiction, by fear, by shame, by guilt. I'm here to tell you there's a bridge that God built on your behalf, our behalf. There are bridges that are so big and so grand they've been named the Golden Gate Bridge, the, the Tower Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, but the most famous bridge is Jesus. It's Jesus. Can we build bridges, little bridges that lead to the bridge of Jesus for people? Can we recognize the need that people have and we're willing to bring them like the four friends in that story that brought their friend to Jesus? And we realize that our hearts can become hardened in the importance of compassion. I'd like you to all stand up this morning. And we have some people that are going to be up here to pray. And I've got two asks. First of all, faith 
is usually activated by action. Sometimes you just don't think of things in your head. You just got to take a step. And I want to I want to do two things. First of all, just bow with me, your heads and your hearts. You might be here this morning and you don't know this Jesus, but you felt the compassion of God. You, you felt the kingdom of heaven in some measure. You felt the invitation and the drawing of God on your heart. And you've never taken the step and said, I open the door of my heart and I believe. I need Jesus. And you become a follower. He becomes Lord and Savior in your life. If that's you this morning, and you're saying, Pastor, I want to do that. I want to take that step of faith. I want you to raise your hand right now. I want to agree with you. We're doing this in community. This will be the easiest place that you'll ever make this determination. So if you're here this morning and say, Today, I want to give my heart to this Jesus. I want you to just raise your hand so I can see you. I want to agree with you. I want to walk with you. I want to celebrate you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Can we just celebrate? Come on, can we celebrate? 